Hey everyone, welcome to No Experts Allowed. How are you, Seth? I'm doing great. How are you, Jonathan? Doing good. We're changing things up a bit, refreshing our podcast format. This is our new intro. We're here. So here's all the good podcast stuff you need to know. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And wherever you find your podcasts, you can subscribe to ours. So Apple, Spotify, I don't know any others, but there are a lot more. So we're so excited to be bringing you some new stuff in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for some exciting updates and announcements from us. Seth, though, I have a really important question for you. What would you do in this particular situation? Which quiet job would you want? Would you want to be a librarian or a monk? Oh, man. This is hard. I thought about being a librarian. Like, seriously, I think I would love doing that. But I I could see that. I also think that I would enjoy being a monk, but... I'm married, so I don't know how that works with, like, out of my faithfulness <laughs> to Patty, I'm going to go with librarian. <laughs> I did make the choice to classify monk as a job, which felt like an interesting choice to me. <laughs> yeah, you, you um, just do it during the day. It's like eight hours. Right? <laughs> I think, though, I would also go with librarian. Because librarians are so important. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of our le- regular listeners, my sister-in-law, Sarah. She is a librarian. She's a law librarian. Is the head librarian for the Chicago branch of the Illinois Supreme Court. Which I just think is a really cool job. And librarians can do so much good. Like, there's so much about the library system. It kind of was like the foundation, at least conceptually, of the internet, right? Like this place you can go, and there's a ton of information that you can just go and find stuff. And... At least in some ways, it's a little bit less mediated than other forms of education or getting information. Um, And now we have the internet and everything is broken. (laughs) (laughs) But libraries are great and I think I would want to support them. I would consider being a monk though, if again, assuming the marriage thing was not on the table. That's the immediate deal breaker. But I love how monasteries have certain, basically, businesses that fund the monasteries that everyone participates in. What do you think, if you did become a monk, what would you want your monastery's business to be? I think I would want to sell ice cream. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's there's a monastery up in Berryville, Virginia, that their business is a bakery. I've heard of of ones that are bakeries. Yeah, but I think, but I think an ice cream shop. Oh, you could do a bunch of great puns for flavors. This is a great idea, million dollar idea. Write it down. But for the sake of time, we'll 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 meet offline to talk about that. But why don't you go ahead and read the passage from Mark today? I'd love to. This is Mark chapter ten. Verses 46 to 52 from the Common English Bible. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, 
was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, Call him forward. They called the blind man, Be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, Go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. Thanks, Seth. Now, in another adjustment, you know, as long as we stick to one of our most often used translations, we're thinking Common English Bible, New International Version, New Revised Standard Version, we're not going to go into as much detail about the version that we use, because we talk about them a lot. If we use something different, we might highlight some of the reasons why. So, Seth, in light of that, we're going to jump right ahead. Why don't you tell me what stood out to you when you read through that? I'm interested that the other people tell Bartimaeus to be quiet. I'm just trying to make sense of why they might do that. Are they just kind of embarrassed by this man mm. who's like sitting on the road screaming? Is it similar to when you pull up to a stop sign and someone's there, you know, begging with their sign? Like sometimes you like try and awkwardly not make eye contact with them. I don't know if I'm the only person who does that, but I, th- I think that's at least a more universal experience than just me. I think so, too. It's at least, at least between us it is. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but I actually really connected with the crowd when I was preparing and reading through this passage. But yeah, that moment is really interesting and was the inspiration for question today too about being quiet but it's just so interesting to think about what kind of scene was Bartimaeus causing that was prompting many people in the crowd that was gathering to see and follow Jesus to say shut up sit down get out of the way and he just kept going that's a really striking moment it's funny that you would say that the crowd is what you connect with because as someone whose eyesight is really poor. Like, I connect with Bartimaeus in this story. Mm. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, some of our listeners might know, when I say that my eyesight is really poor, I'm not exaggerating. I have, like, noticeably thick glasses. Especially my left eye, they make the lens out of what's called high-index glass. So it's supposed to make your glasses thinner, So if you're particularly blind, they look more normal. But my eyes are still so bad that mine are noticeably thick. So it's interesting to me to think about, you know, what is it like not to see? And then to identify with Bartimaeus and like wanting to see clearly. Hmm. I was five years old when I got my glasses. So I went five years like seeing nothing basically Hmm. yeah my parents have stories they just thought i was not very bright because they'd they'd like point to something 
And they'd be like, oh, look over there. And I'd just be like looking around. Like, <laughs> you know, everywhere else but there. I'd be like looking <laughs> to the right. And they'd be like, no, over here. But I just couldn't see what they were pointing oh, at. Man. Thinking about young Seth with tiny glasses is making me happy. I also love your glasses and these stories about them and what they mean for you. They made their way into our logo of our podcast, um, both as a physical representation of your very striking glasses, and also for us to talk about the lenses that we see through. Yeah, it's it's amazing, though, kind of as a side note, how this is evidence of our own experiences informing how we read the text. There are things that jump out to us as really personal I think there are a couple of moments in this passage that are really funny. Like, I was almost laughing out loud. One of the things is just this weird language thing that I think is worth pointing out. But in the Hebrew world, if someone was someone's son, they were often called son of Timaeus. (laughs) The Hebrew for that would be bar Timaeus. And... The way it's written, it says, Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, which is literally saying, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a li- it, I think that that rendering is coming from the Greek a little bit more because it doesn't, it doesn't translate over the same way. Uh, but I just think it's really funny that, <laughs> that it's essentially, say, I thought of the show Blackish and was thinking oh, yeah. of like Andre Johnson Jr., who is Andre Johnson's son. you yeah. basically be introducing a character that way. So I just thought that was kind of funny. I also, in reading with the crowd, thought that the crowd's change of heart once Jesus said something was really funny. Because first they're just telling him to be quiet, sit down, get out of the way. Jesus says, come, come forward, call him forward. And then they're like, be encouraged, get up. It's this complete flip once they realize what Jesus wants. And I just found those those moments kind of humorous and thought that 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 U-turn in, in particular, it felt kind of familiar. Like, I feel like we've been in situations where it's like we feel so strongly one way. And then we get one new piece of information, especially a piece for, of information from someone that we like or respect. And then we just find it so easy to feel so differently from how we did 20 seconds earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I think the crowd's statement to Bartimaeus is so funny too. Be encouraged. Get up. He's calling you because Bartimaeus can hear. He's just blind. Right? Like they're like he's calling you and he's probably like, "Yeah, no, like I can hear." Like I just can't see. Yeah. He's probably like, pour me in his general direction. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that, that's a good, it's a good story. Yeah. Also to someone who can't see just the direction of get up, he's calling, might yeah. not be that helpful in, yeah. in getting him there. <laughs> but, you know, Seth, I also wanted to ask you, you know, as we hinted at last week, this story immediately follows the story that we heard last week about... The disciples asking who could sit at Jesus's right hand and Jesus talking about what it means to be a servant. And then it's this story immediately following. So based on what you remember from that last story that we read from Mark, is there anything about this story 
that maybe connects back to it or reminds you of anything that we talked about last week? I'm just thinking of the ways that last week's passage redefines greatness. As someone who's a servant and absolutely not someone who lords power over others and manipulates them and controls them. It's not the way that the disciples are thinking about power. That much seems to be clear. We see someone who has very little power, especially in the ancient world, when he's blind, which would affect his ability to work. I mean, he's sitting on the side of the road. He's obviously not in charge of of crowds of people. But this is the person that Jesus stops for and heals. He calls him forward and has a conversation with him. It seems like the one who said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve, is already doing just that for Bartimaeus. Yeah. I think I think you're spot on. That's one of the things that stood out to me immediately. Is like Jesus gives this example or this definition and then he shows his work, right? <laughs> he, yeah. he gives a topic sentence and then he gives the supporting <laughs> arguments. The other thing that really strikes me is last week and this week we read two stories where Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Because last week the disciples came demanding for him to do whatever they asked. Here we have Bartimaeus begging for mercy. Jesus asks the same question to both of them in a slightly different context and feels like a slightly different tone. But in doing so gives them both power, (laughs) right? To identify what what they want. And Bartimaeus' response is so markedly different from what the disciples respond with. Someone who has presumably nothing. Someone who is repeatedly mentioned as Timaeus' son. Yet Timaeus is nowhere to be found. Hmm. We don't know Hmm. where Bartimaeus' family is. We don't know what led him to be on the side of the road. But for the person who's emphasized in their name to be related to someone, to be isolated even in the midst of the crowd of people, for Jesus to recognize him and heal him. Hmm. It's almost like he was he was able to better understand what Jesus was asking than Jesus' own disciples who had been following him. We talked about last week, not to rehash the entire episode, but we talked about the ways that the disciples like have a particular image of Jesus that has to be kind of purged. But it just seems like Bartimaeus might have a particular image too, but his is somehow more accurate than theirs. Like he identifies Jesus, right, as the son of David and asks him to show him mercy. Like it seems like he he somehow knows like that's who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And the disciples are like, they're confused. They're like, I'm going to get a lot of power out of this. <laughs> I'm going to be on the right and left of Jesus. Yeah, and it and it feels almost, and this is a theme in Mark too. Like things are hidden and revealed. Things are seen and not seen. And for a blind, a, a blind person who's begging to see Jesus more clearly than 
his closest disciples communicate something about where their energy was Mm -hmm. versus where Jesus wants it to be. Was there anything else in the passage that stood out to you? Or do you think you're ready for a little conversation about what the point is? I think I'm ready for an application. So this is a bit of a transition from what we've been talking about. But I really did connect with the crowd in this story. And the idea that came to mind was disruption. Hmm. You know, in some way, Jesus was disrupting their experience by gathering such a following. But just like you were just talking about, Seth, Bartimaeus disrupted their expectations of what their encounter with Jesus should look like. And then Jesus disrupts those expectations further by inviting this perceived disruptor to actually become the center. So I guess my question is, how do we feel about disruption as a practice, maybe, or a an aspect of our faith? And, and how can disruption help us pay attention to what Jesus is actually up to? Hmm. Yeah, when you ask it that way, it makes me think of disruption as almost like a spiritual discipline. Hmm. That's a good paradox for you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Hmm. It's interesting for me to think about disruption in, I mean, what seems to be, and hopefully is, the tail end of a pandemic. But especially at the beginning when everything was just so disrupted, it's interesting for me to think about like how, how that changed the way that I worshipped and how that changed kind of maybe what I, how I was thinking about Jesus and experiencing Jesus, what it looks like to do that in community and how communities look online. Like it just seems like when we have these set ideas of what church looks like, for example, and then it's disrupted, what I actually ended up doing, I only speak for myself, is putting my feelers out there, like trying to find something that would fill kind of that void that had been disrupted Mm. to try and make a new pattern. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how a little bit of unsettling kind of shakes away some of the stuff that was more loosely connected. And especially when the stuff that was loosely connected felt like it was absolutely essential well said I'm, I'm working on my my papers my application for full ordination in the united methodist church and i was writing about grace a great methodist topic <laughs> and i wanted to talk about how like we often talk about our need for grace in an individual sense but we need to think about our need for grace both in our brokenness and our need for healing but also in how we experience God's grace, we need to think of that collectively as well. Hmm. And I wrote the sentence in my initial draft of like, more or less, we need grace individually, but we don't receive grace in isolation. And based on some of the feedback I got, I revisited that sentence, both because it was worded in a confusing way. (laughs) I cleaned it up a little (laughs) bit for that, but... Um, But also because, and I realized that, like, that sentence is not true. 
Because I think in a lot of ways, grace has been made available to many people in isolation. Uh, the example was given to me of a prisoner who's being held in solitary confinement. Can grace not come to them? You know, mm-hmm. and, and so I say all that to say, I think for me, when I think about the community of faith, I thought about this is how we experience God. Hard stop. We need to gather in person. We need to take communion. We need to sing together. Those are things that I I think are all valuable. But among many things, the past year and a half has shown us that some of those things that we previously deemed essential might be good, but they might actually not be core to our experience. And that can be really (laughs) challenging. But I'm also going back, Seth, to the example you gave before of driving somewhere and maybe like avoiding eye contact with someone who's asking for help in a median or on the side of the road, actually throughout Henrico County, uh, which is one of the suburban counties outside of Richmond near us. There are signs on most of the major intersections on those medians that says explicitly, like, don't give to solicitors, give to local charities instead. And it's presented under the guise of safety. But I think there's Hmm. some maybe more nefarious aspects to that as well. But I think part of the reason that we don't always engage in those relationship opportunities is because they are uncomfortable. They're disrupting our expectations for how our drive to the grocery store is going to go. Just wondering what could happen if we allowed ourselves to be disrupted in those spaces more often. At least in our our text for today when the crowds disrupted by Bartimaeus they actually get to witness some profound healing it's interesting to me to think about what that could look like if we stopped for the person begging on the side of the road today and I think it's it's an open question whose healing it would be oh that's good I want to think that it would be theirs. But frankly, I'm more afraid that it would be mine. Ooh, Seth. Ooh, that's a good one. It feels like a good one to end on, too. Can I pray for us? I would absolutely love that. Let's pray. Seeing one, when we look the other way, away from oppression or discomfort, you never fail to see your children. Help us to open ourselves up to your disruption. Unsettle our hearts so we can settle among the hurting and vulnerable, just like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week... We're going to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. And Jonathan, thanks so much for walking us through that story. Thanks for helping me tell it. I did make the choice to classify monk as a job, which felt like an interesting choice to me. <laughs> yeah, you, do um, you just do it during the day? It's like eight hours. Right. <laughs> that's how you could, that's how you could uh, keep the marriage thing going yeah. on. It's just like... You vow to celibacy from nine to five.
and then you turn up after that again. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so sorry to everyone for that. That's got to go on a shirt. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>